When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello everyone. Today I will be chatting with Ayana Lage. Ayana is a lifestyle blogger and freelance writer. She writes about motherhood, mental health, social justice, and everyday life. Ayana lives in Tampa, Florida with her husband and her daughter. In today's episode, Ayana talks to us about her experience with postpartum psychosis. She tells us about the signs and symptoms she experienced leading up to her hospitalization and during her hospitalization. I hope that this episode helps others to feel less alone and gives you more courage and strength to seek out the help that you may need. Trigger warning for this episode. There is a mention of suicide and infant death during this episode. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, I have Ayana Lage. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So first of all, I want to, again, thank you for agreeing to come on and tell your story. I think it's just so, so important that when we experience hardships like this, that we are willing to be vulnerable and tell them to other people because raising awareness is one of the most important things, especially when it comes to a topic like what we're going to talk about today. So again, thank you for coming on to talk to us about your story. Yeah, of course. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of opening up and just sharing your personal journey and your experience uh, with postpartum psychosis, just so that we can have a better understanding of what happened to you and what you went through. Yeah. I'll give a very broad kind of high level view and then we can dive in which yeah. is, what, and however Perfect. you think will be useful. Yeah. But I found out I was pregnant end of 2019 and I had dealt with depression and anxiety for years and years. And I knew that I was concerned about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. So those were conversations that were very present as I was getting care within pregnancy and thinking about postpartum. I, I like to think that I had more resources than the average person would. I mean, I had a very supportive family, husband, doula, a psychiatrist, a therapist. So I already mm. felt like I was kind of equipped for success in a lot of ways. So I kind of went into childbirth thinking, okay, I don't know what's going to come next, but there's a plan. You know, mm. I have a I have a psychiatrist appointment. I have a therapy appointment. If I start to feel depressive symptoms, we'll know what to do. After I gave birth, I 
did have some kind of like the mood swings that you have after you have a baby, Mm -hmm. but it very quickly became almost euphoria. I was very just energized and very happy, very wired. And the thing that I now know is like a huge warning sign, but I did not know at the time, my loved ones didn't know at the time, was that I did not feel a need to sleep anymore. I Mm. just, I was fine. I didn't need to sleep. I told the people around me, I'll take care of the baby while you guys sleep. I don't need to sleep. And I think that in postpartum, you're going through so much and there's so many changes that if you act bizarrely or say things that are out of character, people are kind of willing to overlook it or make sense of it in a way that they may not if you hadn't just had a baby. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I do think that when you're dealing with someone in a mental health crisis, it can take longer to notice postpartum. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my psychiatrist upon hearing that I didn't need to sleep anymore was very alarmed. And by then I had become, I'd gone from euphoria and happy to very paranoid that something was going to happen to my baby or happen to me. I didn't want help with her. I just wanted to be the only person, like I didn't want my husband to hold her. So it it quickly became a situation where I was acting out of character. I was acting in an unpredictable way. My mood was all over the place. And, um, My psychiatrist basically told my, she's like an angel of a doctor, but she told my husband, if it gets to a point where she isn't trusting you, where basically things have progressed to the point that you don't feel like she's herself, she's going to need to go to the hospital because this could be a sign that something is very wrong. And he didn't, this was the middle of the pandemic. He did not want to send me to the hospital. I wouldn't be able to see him to see my baby. We all knew that this would be traumatic. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. knew I didn't want to go to the hospital. I still didn't think anything was wrong with me, but I knew I didn't want to go to the hospital. But I started to, I started to hear voices and kind of receive delusions from God. And in my head, that's what was happening. The day that I went to the hospital, I started to receive messages from God and having delusions that I was going to rewrite the Bible when my daughter was actually Jesus. And as I started to verbalize some of these things, I could tell my parents who were there, my husband were very alarmed, but still not fully want. I mean, it just, it's an impossible decision, right? At this point, my baby is 10 days old. The idea of me being away from her for even a few hours just felt like such a foreign concept. But I basically at that point, something inside of me, and and I was not all the way there, but something inside of me, I just said, if I don't go to the hospital, I'm going, sorry, I guess like a, you know, trigger warning or content warning for mention of suicide. But I told them if I don't go to the hospital, I'm going to kill myself. And I don't know, I I was not suicidal at that time. That's why this is such a random thing. Hmm. But I said it, they immediately took me to the hospital because at that point I was, you know, that's an emergency. And when I got to the ER, I started to hallucinate. So had that timing been even a few minutes later that they decided to take me in, I would have been hallucinating on the way over. And it would have just probably been much more traumatic for everyone involved. So got to the hospital, ended up there for 17 days. And that's the pretty much, I guess, just like over arcing, you know, version of the story, but I'm happy to discuss it in more detail. Yeah. Wow. It's like your body was telling you, Mm -hmm. you need to say this in order for you to protect yourself. Yes. Which 
again, thank God that happened because, you know, you will hear, you know, I'm sure people listening have heard these stories. We recently had one come out of Boston. Gosh, I think it was last year. And you hear about these awful, awful stories that happen to mothers and usually as a result of postpartum psychosis undiagnosed. And you just think to yourself, oh my gosh, like what, what was happening? you know, Mm -hmm. during the weeks leading up to this, like, were there signs, were there, and, and to actually hear a story from someone who like to have the amount of insight that you have, and I haven't even heard like your full story. I mean, it's pretty amazing, right. For you to now recognize, wow, like that was happening to me, but I didn't realize anything was wrong with it, which is why it's so important for people to have resources already in place. And like, thank God you were someone who knew of your history and knew of the chances of maybe experiencing maybe heightened depression or anxiety postpartum. And you had resources lined up. And I think we don't talk about that enough because I didn't, I mean, I didn't have any resources lined up and like, granted, you know, I didn't have this, this history, but you you don't have to have a history of anxiety, depression, or anything else, any other type of other mental illness to to experience some of these things that happen postpartum. So I think that it should just be like part of a mother's checklist where it's like, just make sure you have a therapist on standby, someone that you know that you can call if something's not feeling right, or that your partner is educated about and says like, you know, like I have this phone number on the refrigerator, like this is somebody you can call in case. And we don't ever talk about that, right? Like no one talks about these things. And then if you go to your six-week appointment, you fill out a little checklist that says, do you enjoy, you know, your typical activities? And at six weeks postpartum, who does? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, this checklist, I'm just filling it out myself. I've done it four times now, right? And I just remember being like, I, you know, every time just being like, I guess I'm depressed. Like, I don't know. I'm going through this. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? We're going through all these things postpartum and and it's it's just so 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 hard. So like you said you were really just you had everything lined up and that was like such a great thing and had that not been the case who knows you know but you were really educated on like what to what to look out for and your partner was educated on that and I think that that's awesome and like so important. So I know you mentioned that you noticed you know you were not wanting to give, you know, some of the care over to your partner. What were some of the other like smaller things that looking back now, you're like, oh, that was kind of something that wasn't quite normal. That was probably part of just this, this kind of roller coaster that kind of turned into psychosis. Yeah. I mean, I think that first, the the one thing that I always tell people is that if you're going to prepare for postpartum mood disorders to know all of them, because I knew the symptoms of depression. Well, I didn't know anything about postpartum psychosis. So I mean, other than when I didn't want to give my daughter to my partner, I think that maybe that could have been interpreted as, Oh, you know, a mom's instincts, mama bear, whatever people say, I did not trust him to, to take care of her. I don't know if I verbalized that, but in my mind, if I let anyone else take care of her, something terrible was going to happen to her. So I was genuinely fearful and keep in mind that this didn't happen like the second she was born. So we had a couple of days that felt normal, right? So, I mean, this was out of nowhere to him that I was suddenly afraid to hand her over to him. Mm -hmm. Some of the other things I would say, 
my mood swings were in the course of minutes, I would go from laughing hysterically at, you know, some hilarious thing I saw on Instagram to like fetal position sobbing. And again, I, I knew that hormones were wild, but I did not know that if you were in a place where you are all over the place emotionally in a course of minutes, like that's something that, okay, like maybe we talk to the doctor about that. And then the other thing was that I, this is like kind of an interesting one, but I wasn't in a lot of pain, which I, I had an emergency C-section, but I kind of remember thinking I was in pain the day, the day of the day after, but after that, as I started to feel kind of euphoria, I remember thinking, Hmm. I don't know why people say that C-sections are hard to recover from because I feel fine. And it was only after the fact that I realized like, okay, that could have been a part of the euphoria and just like overall, I can conquer the world feeling that often comes with a psychotic episode that I was just feeling amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. like feeling amazing after a traumatic birth, uh, not feeling, <laughs> feeling energetic, feeling like, okay, like I can do anything. I just, in retrospect, I'm like, okay, that, that is not <laughs> the expected outcome. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of the things that you said, and I'm sure others listening can probably agree or have experienced, I think there's this element of many moms who have that feeling of not wanting someone else to take care of their baby. You know, it's like, I've def- I've definitely felt that where I'm like, oh, you know, I, and especially I feel like with a first baby. Yeah. Definitely. I didn't feel that way really with any of my others. I was like, oh, please help me. <laughs> please help me. But um, with that first baby, I, and I don't know if the incidence of postpartum psychosis is elevated with first time moms more than if it's a second or third or fourth baby. I don't know, but that would actually be interesting to note. But I felt that way, you know, not probably to the extent that you did, but just like the, oh no, I I got it. I got it. I can, I can change the diaper. I can do all of this. I've got it. You know, I'm the mom and I've got it. And I think it can be difficult to kind of figure out, okay, does this mean that I shouldn't be feeling this way? Like, should I be open to all of the help? And so it's, it can be hard, but again, with all the other things that you're saying, like, well, on top of that, I was feeling these feelings of, I could take on the world. I don't need to sleep. I feel fine after giving birth and having an emergency C-section. Like it's everything kind of combined and together. And again, too, and I have an episode if people listening want to learn more about intrusive thoughts, but you kind of mentioned this briefly when you said that you had these like feelings of like impending doom at times Mm -hmm. and intrusive thoughts. I mean, I had them for years. I still will occasionally get an intrusive thought. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, I'm able to kind of recognize those things, but it was the worst after my first. And, you know, I would always envision falling down the stairs with my baby when I was holding her or getting into a car accident or the fire or whatever, all the time, like all the time. (laughs) And that is one of the worst feelings, you know, of just like this, something bad is going to happen all of the time. And for those listening, intrusive thoughts are common and happen to many postpartum moms. And to kind of decipher what needs attention and what you can kind of talk down is it's a great episode to listen to. I'll link it in the show notes. I did one, my gosh, it's like two years ago now with this amazing human. So if you want to listen to that, I'll link it in the show notes, but you did mention that as well. And so, so many of these little things 
they happen to postpartum moms pretty frequently. We, all of these different things happen to us. And it's like, well, when do we seek help? You know, and I think it can sometimes be a very tricky question, especially for someone who doesn't know much about it and has never experienced any feelings like this before. And again, somebody from the outside might just be like, okay, well, she, you know, she just had a baby. She doesn't want anybody to hold it. And especially like you said, during the COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I had a baby during COVID as well and I wouldn't let anybody touch her. No right. one. And so it's like, that's normal. We're in a middle of a pandemic. I don't want anyone to touch my baby. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it can be hard to kind of decipher, like, is this something that's a normal part of the time period in which we are living and what we're experiencing? Or is this part of a bigger picture of something happening? And it can be so difficult. So when you were more like religiously preoccupied, so when you were saying that you were going to rewrite the Bible and all these things, at the time of all of that, did you have any sort of insight to that? Or did you, were you really in it? Like you, you really thought all of these things were happening? Yeah, I think, I think that people, it's one of those things where at least I'll speak for myself. I, if you'd asked me about psychosis before, I would have been like, if that ever happened to me, I'd be able to like reason my way yeah, out of it. Yeah. Um, we have this like very, <laughs> I, I have this very elevated idea of myself in the sense of like, I am not, I mean, I'll just say it, even though it's problematic. Like I'm too smart to ever like be one of those people who has lost their minds, you know, and that's like a terrible thought, but that would have been my thought process before this happened to me. So it was very quickly humbling, but you know, just like I'm talking to you now and talking about the facts of what happened to me, like I had the same level. I felt the same level of rationality. I didn't feel out of sorts. Really. It felt kind of like, I just felt kind of matter of fact, like, Oh, God's talking to me now. Like, okay. But it wasn't like, it's kind of like how I would look outside and say the sky is blue. Like that's the yeah. same level of matter of factness that I, that I felt about it. I mean, I was very happy that God was talking to me at the end of my hospitalization. As the medication started to work, I definitely started to have some moments of like, okay, I don't know what's what, you know, this doesn't feel like me, but mm. in the beginning, no, I mean, I was just, it, I was fully in and people telling me like, that's not true or you're confused would agitate me. I was very oh, upset when anyone would challenge it. This Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Podcast episode is brought to you by Earth Breeze. Did you know that the amount of plastic that is actually recycled is only around 5%? The vast majority of the plastic that people place into their blue recycling bins ends up in landfills and not reused. This is because many of them do not meet the threshold of being recyclable, according to certain standards. This is even more of a reason to switch over to Earth Breeze laundry sheets and ditch your large plastic containers of laundry detergent. The laundry sheets will arrive at your doorstep in a small box that looks like a box of dryer sheets. The packaging is lightweight and biodegradable. To give you an idea of how much space you would save in your laundry room, you can fit 720 loads of sheets where you used to fit just one 60-load detergent jug. 
Each sheet is a liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle. Just toss that sheet in with your laundry and you're good to go. No mess with the liquid detergent. My favorite part is that it makes it much easier for our kids to do their own laundry now. They can throw their laundry in with a sheet and voila, it's done. I just restocked our laundry sheets and purchased both the scented and unscented. The unscented sheets are great for our daughter's sensitive skin. These sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested, so you don't need to worry about it affecting anyone's skin when you switch over. Earth Breeze is compatible with high-efficiency washers, gray water systems, and septic safe for those of you that have a septic system like us. You can set up a flexible subscription that is easily adjustable and can be paused or canceled at any time. I love that we no longer have to buy those large plastic jugs that take up space in our laundry room, and this makes it much easier for our kids to help us do the laundry. This is just another way to help our environment, which is so incredibly important right now. Try Earth Breeze risk-free. They will give you a full refund if you are not satisfied with the product. No questions asked. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 40% off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I work in the emergency department and I see patients from psych all of the time and Mm -hmm. we are always taught you don't argue with a patient that comes in this way. Whenever I have a patient that is, you know, um, maybe they're coming in with their first psychotic break or what have you, I mean, what they are experiencing is very real to them, right? And the last thing you want to do is look at them and say, no, you're wrong. Like this is not actually happening because what is that going to achieve? Nothing except for the patient completely losing it because they're like, what you're telling me is that what I'm experiencing isn't real. Can you imagine that? Imagine that from a medical perspective, like you go in with abdominal pain and somebody says to you like what you're experiencing isn't real, right? Like that's like the very opposite of what um, needs to happen. So yeah, I mean, and of course, people around you are probably, you know, like friends, family are like, no, like, you know, they don't know what's going on with you, right? So they're probably trying to like tell you, oh, no, that's not, no, no, don't worry about that. Like, that's not happening. And you're like, yeah. yes, it very much is inside of my own head. Yes. So it's it's really, really fascinating to just kind of just hear your perspective of how you thought of it when you presented. And again, I do you think that if you hadn't said that you were suicidal, would it have taken longer for you to, or do you think maybe your partner would have just been like, okay, it's time? (laughs) I think once the hallucinations started that it would have been, I will say that one of the benefits of self-admitting to a hospital is that you get to pick your hospital because Mm -hmm. not all hospitals are created equal. Mm -hmm. And we were able to go to the hospital that my psychiatrist had previously recommended if I ever needed inpatient care. I think that had he waited and I had the hallucinations and it been, cause when I was hallucinating in the air, they immediately sedated me cause I was screaming and mm. crying and it was like a terrible, a terrible thing. So, I mean, had he waited, it may have been a situation where I'm being taken by ambulance to the nearest hospital and who knows how that would have turned out, you know, compared right. to being able to pick. Right. What did you find, like out of all of this, what did you find to be the most challenging thing for you personally? I I think that the most challenging, so the thing that everyone expects me to say is being away from my baby for th- nearly three weeks. That wasn't hard for me until after I got home because 
for a decent amount of the time that I was in the hospital, I wasn't convinced that I'd given birth. I thought that I'd imagined her. So it was like, I was too far past the, like I was so far past reality that like, it wasn't until the very end of my hospitalization that I started to miss my newborn. I think the biggest thing for me was, and you kind of touched on like why you don't push back on delusions, not being believed. I I thought that the hospital staff, one of the like lasting delusions while I was there, thought that they were trying to poison me. No one obviously (laughs) took me seriously (laughs) as I'm talking about this. You know, I'm calling my family members to try to tell them you need to get me out of here. They're poisoning Mm -hmm. me. My family is doing their best to kind of guide me back to reality. Um, But the fear is real. The fear Mm -hmm. is as real as if it were true. So, I mean, I think that I was just so fearful because I felt like all of these terrible things were happening and no one cared. So in the midst of the psychosis, that was the hardest thing. Once Mm -hmm. I emerged from it, then came the complex emotions and the guilt and the sadness about missing most of my daughter's first month. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is wild. So when you came to the realization that your baby had been at home while all this was happening, did you then have, cause then I can imagine that you would have like feelings and symptoms of deep depression of just like, what have I missed? You know, I wasn't there. I wasn't present. And just having like those feelings of guilt and all of that. How did you deal with all that? It took a lot of time and therapy. Honestly, I definitely Again, I feel so lucky that we had the support system that she was so well cared for between my family, my husband's family, my husband, our doula, like we had, he had help, you know, he was surrounded by people. But I think that I still just felt, I was kind of grappled with the fact that I could not have gotten better without leaving her. Like there was no Mm -hmm. scenario where it would have been responsible for me to stay at home. Right. But also leaving her and being away just felt so unthinkable in retrospect. And I, I remember I've shared this before on social media, but people would talk about maternity like, oh, you know, I, I'm so sad that maternity leave is ending. Like I'm going to miss baby snuggles or, you know, oh, this first month was amazing. And I would literally have to like unfollow or mute them because it was mm-hmm. so just unfair to me that some people had these normal bonding experiences. And for me, it was like the worst time of my life. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, even now, I mean, I feel like it's been three and a half years almost. And I'm just now at the point where I have made peace with it. You know, I'm reading this book now. Have you heard of Lessons in Chemistry? I haven't, no. So they just made it into a, um, like a Netflix series, or maybe it's a movie, because it's a book. Anyway, I... I, so many people have suggested it. So I finally um, picked it up and listening to it now on audio. And this girl, and if you want to read it, for those listening, this might be, well, I mean, it's not like a whole giveaway, but she has a baby in, in the book. And her neighbor comes over and she's like, you know, I think there's something wrong with me. I just, I I don't love this. Like, I don't, I don't feel this connection with my baby. Like, I don't love this. And the woman, she's like, I've had four babies and I didn't, she's like, newborns are the worst. (laughs) She's like, like, you're not supposed to be connected to this thing that's screaming at you 24 seven. Like you're a normal, it's normal, right? It's normal to have and to not have this instinctive connection with your baby. And I think 
as moms, it's like so hard, right? Because you're like, that's all you're told, right? You're told like, this is what you're made to do. And um, your body, your body made this baby and you're, you have this immediate connection to it and all these things. And so the second the baby's born and like, of course, we're feeling all these feelings, hormones and, and everything happening at once. And we don't feel this immediate connection. It's like, okay, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And it's just not true. Right? Like I didn't love the newborn phase at all. I yeah. much I'd much rather have my talking 3-year-old that I can have fun with to be quite honest. <laughs> and so and then there's people that do love it. People love cuddling and and all the things and whatever, but it wasn't for me either. Like it it everybody's different. Yeah. And you know, again, it's not something that's that's talked about. Because there's like this stigma of, oh, well, you've had a baby. You have this immediate connection to it. Like you're going yeah. to love it and nurture it and and all of those things. And that's not immediate all the time. <laughs> so can you talk to us a little bit about what made you want to be this advocate and, and speak up about your experience specifically? I was very conflicted. I've been someone who shares my life on the internet now for it feels like my whole life, but I've been, I've been <laughs> blogging for like, I, I think six or seven years. So for me, like, you know, I had a miscarriage before having my daughter. I wrote about that. I've written about having depression. I've written like, it's kind mm-hmm. of second nature. If something happens, I'm sharing it. For the psychosis, it was tricky because I kind of tested the waters by telling people in when it happened, the only people who knew were like my family and my closest mm-hmm. friends. So I kind of tested the waters, um, you know, in the months following telling people, Hey, you know, I, um, I had this happen and the responses were good, but I could tell that like people didn't know what to say and felt uncomfortable. And these are just like mm. acquaintances, people I'm catching up with. I'm being very honest with them. So I kind of was like, I'm so sensitive to how people are responding to this that I need to make sure that I've processed this in therapy (laughs) before I open it up to the entire world. So I first publicly, I wrote an article for Cosmo in April about this. And that was the first time that I talked about it outside of people that I knew in real life. So I, I wanted to though, because when I was recovering from this and I was Googling to try to find stories of people who'd been through it, a lot of them were people who had hurt or killed their babies, yeah. which is like, you know, if someone does, if a mother does do something to her young child and there's a mental health condition attached to it, it's most likely postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a very clumsy way of me giving that statistic, but you know what I mean? So there yeah. is a risk with postpartum psychosis of infanticide and and it's it's terrible but i just felt even further traumatized reading those stories about how it could have been so much worse when all that i wanted was to know that i would come through it and i would be okay right so for me that was my biggest motivator i mean don't get me wrong i'm not the first person to talk about postpartum psychosis on the internet but i those stories were so few and far between yeah. when i personally was looking that i was like okay maybe i can be helpful in this way no, I mean, absolutely. And that's that's why, I mean, I was so excited to have you on here because like I said, the stories that you hear <laughs> are not the ones that have the outcome that you had. Yeah. And you have to wonder like, okay, well, how long did something go? I mean, you said like 10 days postpartum, you know, and that is not a long time for something to happen. And you hear some about some of these cases where 
the mom had like three kids and, you know, the youngest was a year, like who knows, you know, how long these moms had been struggling prior, who knows, you know, there's no way to know. And I think by being brave and vulnerable by sharing your story is going to help so many people. And so again, kudos to being somebody who is willing to have people view them as their story, you know, and I think it can't be easy to share things like this. And again, but just so important for you to do. Have you experienced any negative feedback from from your advocacy yet? I I would say it's been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, there have been a couple of comments. I think that people really struggle. So like, for example... Andrea Yates, who, if your listeners aren't familiar, you know, is the woman who killed her children because she was having religious delusions. Um, So I don't even know what year, but several years ago. And, you know, that's kind of like the name that comes to mind when you're thinking of tragedies and postpartum psychosis. When Cosmo shared my article on social media, they kind of said, you know, ever heard of Andrea Yates? This is what she was struggling with. And someone said something along the lines of like, okay, now we're glorifying people killing their children. Because of course, that's not something, it's not the most sympathetic thing. (laughs) Like, obviously, I understand why people hear, okay, this woman killed her children, and now you want me to feel bad for her. But it's like, that's not what it is. It's had, she had proper treatment, this never would have happened. You know what I mean? So I think it's just people not understanding and not really having a desire to allow there to be like nuance and a reason that these crimes happen. You know, it's not just like, oh, this person is pure evil. It's that they had, they were sick and they didn't get the help they needed. Yeah. And I think a couple things to say about that. Like the first is that, you know, by somebody saying something like that, it kind of like, defeats the whole purpose of then like advocacy work uh, for, you know, mental health in general, because it's like two things can be true, right? It can be true that something terribly awful happened. And it can also be true that that person that that did something was terribly ill and it was neglected for whoever knows how long. I mean, can you even imagine, I mean, like even just from your story, okay? Yeah. From your point of view, Everything was so real. Can you imagine being so concerned that if anybody else were to take care of your baby, you would rather something happen to them? You would rather go to heaven with them. Okay. Like, can you imagine having that delusion and nobody being like, because, you know, I, I very highly doubt that any of these cases went to the point that they did without serious warning signs beforehand right? Someone doesn't just do that. (laughs) They just don't. And there's certainly not a mother. Like it just doesn't happen. Okay. And like, you have to wonder all those, whatever those warning signs might've been, right. Or maybe, maybe she was like trying to seek out care. Like we don't know anything about it other than what is in the news. And, um, Yes. You know, so yeah, I, I have definitely heard some of that standpoint before where it's like, um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, all of this back talk against the mom herself. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. It's like, uh, how about we ask more questions uh, about what was happening and where was her access to mental health care? Because we are really not good about it here in the United States. <laughs> yeah. And it 
proves that, you know, we, I mean, in a, in a country that has like some of the worst mortality, you know, when it comes to not only maternal mortality, but also infant mortality, like, you know, it's like, those are the questions we need to be asking. And we don't need to be pointing fingers at people. We need to be like, how can we make sure this never happens again? But instead people just point fingers and make a new story out of it. And instead nothing changes. And that's, you know, where so much of the problem lies. Yeah. Uh, And there's so much more to say about that. I guess from your standpoint, I'd love to hear what you think. What would your vision of the perfect like mental health access look like for someone who is about to become a mother? I think that for me, I think about how all the time, if I'm talking about this, I think about how I had an established psychiatrist and therapist. Then I think about how long it took me to find the right psychiatrist and therapist who took my insurance to wait for an appointment. And I think about trying to do all of that postpartum. And I am just like stunned that anyone is able to do it because even if you're, even if you're seeking out help and you haven't just had a baby, it is such a task. It's so exhausting and it takes such a long time. And so, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but I think There has to be a solution other than, okay, you're going to be on a waiting list for two months to see a doctor or you're going to the ER. If those are the only options Mm -hmm. that you have, that's, it's not shocking to me that, you know, more women don't, don't get help. And then I think that also, um, my psychiatrist specializes in perinatal health, which I, would say that if you can find a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist mm. or whatever who does, who is familiar with maternal health, I think that that is very helpful. My psychiatrist picked up on the fact that something might be wrong before before we did. And I will say, because I know that we mentioned the things that can go wrong, that after my psychiatrist kind of told my husband, like, we need to keep an eye on this because she's paranoid. And if she starts to basically lose touch with herself. She needs to go to the hospital. He, I was never alone with my baby. So when you think about things like that, having a doctor who can give feedback, who can say, we don't know what's happening, but in the meantime, Mm. be in the room with her or, you know, get help. If it's your parents, have your parents in the room. You're, she's not going to be alone. You're not going to walk out of the room and leave her with the baby because she's paranoid and we don't know what's going on. So I think even having doctors and having medical providers who are familiar with postpartum conditions can help in that way. Just like little things where like I had no diagnosis and like we didn't know what was going on, but she had the experience to say, okay, you know, I'm going to err on the side of caution and just say like, don't have her alone with the baby while we figure out what's wrong with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This podcast episode is brought to you by EveryPlate. I don't know about you, but once the hustle and bustle of the season starts, I love having opportunities that save me time, energy, and money. EveryPlate will make your days easier by having the dinner plans already taken care of. Save time at the grocery store and less time prepping with their already pre-portioned ingredients. Did you know that EveryPlate costs 50% less than your average takeout dinner? They also introduced $1 steak for life. You can add a 10-ounce ranch steak to your weekly order for only $1. Their affordability is what sets every plate apart. One of my favorite things about every plate is that they offset 100% of their delivery emissions and their meals have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. 
Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. This week, we ate honey sriracha fried chicken with mashed sweet potatoes and zucchini, and it was delicious. Prep time was a quick 10 minutes, and the recipe was on the table within 45 minutes total. You can get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal, plus $1 steaks for life, by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49Lindsay. That's $1.49 per meal plus $1 stakes for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering the code 49Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. Your subscription must be active to qualify to redeem your $1 stake. Enjoy. Is there anything that you would say about like different healthcare providers and medical professionals that you had experience with that would have like improved your experience in general? Like, is there anything that you would give as far as advice to those people that were taking care of you? Yeah, that's such, so funny that you asked that because I did not have a good experience with my OBGYN. I did not feel like, first of all, I never heard about postpartum psychosis from my doctor, which I feel I was given like a pamphlet on postpartum depression. I feel like that could be something that Yes, it's it's rare, but it does happen. So it, it can't hurt to mention it. Mm-hmm. But also like at my six-week appointment, when I came in, I basically told the doctor like, hey, I was hospitalized for almost three weeks <laughs> for mental health concerns. And I don't know. I just felt it's kind of like even with that, there was no real follow-up. It was kind of like, okay, do you want to get back on birth control? Okay, you can have sex again if you want to. Like, And it was so wild to me because I'm like, I just had the most traumatic experience of my life and I'm still not receiving any sort of individualized care here. You know what I mean? It was still like the standard six-week appointment as I'm coming in being like, hi, I was just hospitalized for 17 days. (laughs) Like, I, I don't know what to do with that, you know? And it just... Unfortunately, thankfully, I had a therapist and I had a psychiatrist, but that was not a helpful connection for me. Yeah. And I wonder if that was kind of their thought, like, well, she's already, you know, all tied up with these, you know, with psych, I don't need to. But again, like that's, it's part of the whole picture, like the whole patient. And it's very much a part of your postpartum care. And, you know, even like the simple, okay, how are you feeling? You know, maybe I will follow up with you again in a few weeks just to make sure you're in the right place. Right. I mean, sure, you have access to your therapist. But again, when when things like this happen, sometimes you don't realize, especially when you're the patient, that anything is wrong. <laughs> like That's the whole point of like, you know, someone isn't psychotic and also having insight. Like there is yeah. no insight like that's the whole um the whole reason why it can sometimes go so far or go undiagnosed because that person thinks they're fine. Yeah, um that's so interesting and you know, I have been a long time supporter of changing the way that people are cared for after birth because I think a 6-week appointment is uh, atrocious. I mean, literally no one fault yes. someone hands you a human being and says take care of this discharge you and just expect for everything to be fine. And sure, you'll hear from people that are, you know, giving birth at home and whatever, that this is like a totally natural thing that women have been doing forever, which, okay, fine, great, kudos, okay. But we shouldn't 
have to feel okay yeah. with not having help. I hate that shit. <laughs> like that drives me crazy, right? Stop telling me that I'm supposed to be a natural at this and start sending me help like it's supposed to take a village. And <laughs> yeah. I just I absolutely do not like when people are like, you know, you were born to do this, so it'll just fall into place how it will. Like that is a load of bullshit in my opinion. <laughs> Such a load of bullshit. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, you talk to people in other countries and they're like, oh yeah, I had a, um, you know, my midwife, she followed up with me on day three, four, six, eight, 10, 12, da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, okay. And again, you look at the numbers and what we do here in America is very reflective in our morbidity and mortality. Like it's just very obvious where we need to spend our time and resources and energy and all of those things. And we still don't. And we still have a six-week follow-up appointment. And I really hope that something along yes. the lines changes. I mean, it'd be pretty simple. Like you, someone gets pregnant, you hand them a pamphlet, a pamphlet that is just standardized and includes even what you said about like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, perinatal mood disorders, yes. postpartum psychosis, just like little tidbits of each thing and what to expect, maybe some simple signs and symptoms of when to get concerned that also your partner should read if you have one. And then you can proceed to, okay, these are the things that you should have in place before you have your baby. You should have a therapist in place, just somebody to talk to. Everybody could use a therapist. Literally everybody listening to this could use a therapist. Everybody. It's, mm, yeah. I don't know, you know, I think we're, we're getting better at it, but you know, I still think people think that there's something tied to it. Like there's something wrong with me if I have a therapist, like it's so not true. Um, but having one before you give birth, right? Having someone to call, because like you said, it can yes. be a very long time before you can see someone. And then what happens is you have to wait for things to get bad and you end up in the emergency department, not where you want to be, <laughs> especially if you have a baby at home. Yeah, like, that is not wild. something you want for yourself. So just like simple things like that. And then saying, okay, hey, like we think insurance should cover, you know, a postpartum visit at one week and then four weeks and then whatever. You know, like, and okay, and what? Does the postpartum yeah. period just end at six weeks? I go to my appointment, they check me out, and okay, you're you're good to go for the next 18 years while you raise this kid. See ya. We'll see you for your pap smear. And it's like, what on earth? And yeah. I guess too, we're just like conditioned to think, okay, well, all this is normal. I remember like my bladder was falling out and I was like, oh, it must be normal. Why do we have to suffer this way? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it's just crazy. And I, I just feel like there's, there's so many things that could be done, simple things even, you know, like a pamphlet of everything. Yeah. Like here's your packet of things that you can read about in the next nine months. I don't know. Instead, people head to the internet, head to TikTok, head to a book on Amazon, and who knows what information is being found there. You know what I mean? And you don't know that it's like evidence-based and the right information. Like it could be about anything. Like there could be some, you know, person on TikTok saying like, oh, the signs of this are this, and they're not, you know, like you can't, like some of the information that you find is not true and can be so hard. Oh, so do you have any advice for people that are listening that may, maybe not, you know, your specific condition, like a postpartum psychosis, but even just like postpartum anxiety or depression, do you have any advice for them? I would say it's so hard because I know everyone's situation is different, but I think 
if you, I've talked to women who had postpartum depression or postpartum OCD who no one knew. And it's weird because I had the opposite experience where it felt like everyone knew because it was such a dramatic change for my norm. But, you know, there are other conditions where the symptoms may not be apparent to everyone around you. So, I mean, I would say that having, even if you have one person, mm-hmm. like one friend, if that's, you know, your partner, if that's an option, but if, if not, that you can confide in that, hey, like, I'm not sure if this is normal. I would say in general, if you have just given birth and it's your first, second, whatever time, and, and you're experiencing anything that you're like, hey, I don't know if this is normal, to ask your doctor, ask your, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obviously your parent friends are not going to be like a source of medical advice. But anecdotally, I will say that um, one of my friends who has several children actually reached out to my husband and said, hey, just so you know, I don't think the way that Anna is behaving is like normal postpartum because she knew, you know? So, I mean, I think mm-hmm. having community is the biggest thing, but I know not everyone has that. So I think the other thing would be to seek help, whether that's from your primary care doctor or a psychiatrist or a therapist, um, wherever you can get in to to ask for help because it it makes things so much easier. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, your support person doesn't need to be, you know, somebody in the medical field. It can just be a support person where you can be mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm having these feelings where like, I don't want to get out of bed. Like, I don't want to take care of my baby. And you feel the problem is it can be so suffocating and like lonely to feel like you need to call a therapist that maybe you've only met once or maybe you haven't even met yet and be like, I have these feelings. Yeah. Like, that is a very big hoop to jump through, (laughs) right? To like say these words to someone on the other line that doesn't know you at all. So to have that support person, right? To say this and be like, can you help me with this? Like they can even make the phone call for you. Hey, I have a friend who just gave birth. They're not feeling well. They're feeling like this. I think they maybe need to make an appointment. Like it doesn't need to be you if you don't feel comfortable. Um, You just need to have that go-to person that is there to support you, right? Like, hey, I don't know. I'm feeling really weird. I, I can't even describe it, but could you help me make this appointment or whatever? Because I think that is is the hardest part is like taking the first step and and calling and like making an appointment because it can be hard to a, like recognize that something isn't right. And again, society is like, you're supposed to be doing this. And so what you think in your head is, well, this is what's supposed to happen. Like I'm supposed to have all these feelings. I'm supposed to be the one primarily taking care of my kid 100% of the time. I shouldn't want anybody else to take care of them. Like these are feelings that feel very real in the moment. Yeah. Do you have any like projects up the line or what's your plan with your advocacy in the future? I'm still figuring it out. I think I want to have a second child at some point. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's almost interesting because a part of me is like, I don't want everyone to be I don't want everyone in the world to be scrutinizing me for postpartum psychosis if I give birth again. Like my doctor and my family, sure. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, that's how it feels yeah. sometimes, you know. The whole I world mean? is watching. Um, but you. I, I do <laughs> think that once I am sure that I'm done having children, that I'll probably leap in even more. But just with the idea that, you know, wanting in the next couple of years to have another baby, I'm kind of laying low um, just because I'm, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm, don't have like 
beautiful, fun pregnancies, <laughs> I, I pretty much have to table everything yeah. that isn't yeah. absolutely necessary for my pregnancy. So it's just, so all that to say, I'm still figuring it out, but I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, anticipating pregnancy in the near to distant future. Awesome. I love it. All right. Are there any uh, messages that you want listeners here to take away from your story today? I think the biggest thing that I can say is just to know the signs of postpartum psychosis. If not for yourself, if you um, haven't dealt with it or won't deal with it or aren't having kids or whatever it is. So for the people around you, I can easily see how quickly things can get bad for someone who doesn't have anyone in their life. Who knows? Even as I mentioned, my friend reached out to my husband. And then another friend actually reached out to my mom. She called her and I don't know, I feel like sometimes it's just one of those things where like, you need to talk to someone's mom. (laughs) Even though I've been married for however long she was like, I needed, she called my mom and was like, I don't think Ayana's okay. And she only knew to do that because she had some knowledge of postpartum mental health. Um, So I would say know the signs of postpartum psychosis, anxiety, depression, and just like look out for the people around you. That's my biggest tip. I had a lot of people looking out mm-hmm. for me and things could have turned out much yeah. worse than they did. So I'm, I'm grateful that they did it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So two questions for you unrelated to the story today. So the first one is if you could give one piece of advice to moms in general, what would it be? I would say to not let anyone make you feel guilty for taking time away from your baby for yourself. That is, I feel like it's kind of self-explanatory, but that's something that I struggled with and now thankfully no longer struggle with because I, I I don't, especially don't let strangers make you feel guilty for like literally anything related to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last question is if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy. What would it be? Oh gosh. I would say... So I have a three-year-old. So <laughs> I'll start with that. Who eats? Who eats nothing? Who I'm eats, sure, like who mine. Eats very little. <laughs> we did do this baked taco recipe though recently that was good, and she did kind of nibble on it. Your mileage may vary depending on uh, on, <laughs> on your child and how picky they are. But yeah, that was really good. I think if you just Google like oven baked tacos, that a million will probably come up. Yes, absolutely. I know it's, I have a, so our youngest is three and I felt like we were on such a good path and I don't really know what happened, but like, it's like a switch went off and now all she wants is buttered toast. Like the spray on, (laughs) it's not butter on like toast. I'm like, gross. Like what? And that's what she has for breakfast, lunch, and dinner right now. And I don't have it in me. I just don't. I'm like, fine. I don't care. I feel you. It's just not worth the (laughs) fight. Fine with me. I know. And I'm like, I don't know, at least it's whole grains and whatever. I, I don't, it's like, I don't know. Three-year-olds are so funny, aren't they? But I mean, you know, you, you like something, why not? I mean, I wish I could have the same thing for every single meal. I mean, I over guess I could, I'm an adult, but I just That's feel true. like I need to have like a more wide array of foods. I could have French fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I wanted it's, to. Yeah. <laughs> That's, um, that's free will. That's what our, uh, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, again, thank you so much, Ayana, for coming out here and telling us about your story. It's so, so important and crucial for people like you to advocate for what happened to you and, you know, just make everyone else aware of the signs, the symptoms and what to do. And again, this episode is not just for people that might be feeling some of these feelings. It's for everybody because like you said, the more people are aware of things, the more they're able to catch it in other people as well. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.